Thank you for listening to Lone Star Community Radio. This program was broadcasted and recorded live from the LSCR studios in downtown Conroe, Texas. Lone Star Community Radio is supported by listeners like you. Donate and sponsor today. For more information on getting involved with Lone Star Community Radio, contact us at lscrstudios at gmail.com or visit us online at www.irlonestar.com. Hi, I'm Kenneth Danielle, and you are listening to Lone Star Community Radio on 104.5 KCZWLP Conroe and 106.1 KZCCLP Conroe and worldwide on IRLoneStar.com. And everybody, you're listening to The Cindy Cochran Show and uh, also watching it. If you're watching YouTube, we're live on YouTube and live on Lone Star Community Radio, Facebook, and uh, 106.1 on the radio, FM, and 104.5 FM. And you can listen to us that way if you want. But we'll be right back up on on YouTube as soon as the show is over, live. We'll be back and we'll be there for eternity. So if you want to watch that. Now, I had uh, announced yesterday that Jimmy Cirillo, Jimmy the C., would be on with me to talk about the Astros because we haven't really talked about their winning the World Series yet. But um, after the election <clears throat> yesterday, uh, I, Jimmy called me and said, look, you know what? I'm in such a terrible mood. I just don't think I could I could get on there without saying bad words or cursing while I'm talking to you. I just, and I don't want to do that to your show. So I'm can I come back some other time? Please don't be mad at me. And I went, I'm not mad at you. That's fine. And I totally understand because this morning I found out that the appointment I had with my doctor is for a stress test of all things, of all times. For me to have to do a stress test was after the election and staying up all night watching, you know, different different hap- things that happened that you didn't want to happen. But we had some good things and some bad things. It'll be okay. But anyway, that's what I had to go do. And uh, But I'm here, and I thought, you know, I should bring not the next best thing, but the very best thing. Uh, it's been around longer than Jimmy the C, and it has more uh, experience and knowledge about the Astros going way back is uh, my husband, Sam Cochran. Hello, Sam. How are you? Act like it's the first time you've seen me. I know. It's been amazing. <laughs> it seems like it was just yesterday. And he's uh, he's not blind or anything like that, but he's just a very cool guy, and he's got these uh, sunglasses on because there's the light's so bright overhead. And so I just wanted to let you know he just he's just naturally cool like that. Okay, so you were going to get to explain, because I remember a lot of this too. You're only seven years older than I am, so I I can still remember a lot of this stuff that happened before the Astros were the Astros. So start back from where they, what they were called before the Astros. Get ready, get set, go. Well, they were called the Houston Buffs, and uh, they varied depending on what year it was between a double-A and a triple-A baseball team uh, as far as their classification was concerned and they were part of the St. Louis Cardinals organization so quite a few of the players off the Houston Buffs became very famous players for the St. Louis Cardinals 
one probably the most famous of, of all was uh, Dizzy Dean. Most people have heard that name. Sure. He was a real famous pitcher. Yeah. He uh, pitched for the Houston Buffs. Um, and there were numerous other famous St. Louis Cardinals that uh, started played for the Houston Buffs. But what were the St. Louis Cardinals? Were they using the Buffs as a farm team or something? And then well, they pulled. Well, it wasn't much different than it is today. They do the same thing. Like the the Astros, for example, Corpus Christi is one of their one of their farm clubs. Uh, they've got several others. I can't I can't think off the top of my head exactly where the others are. But I mean, Corpus Christi would be a good example. Well, when did the Buffs break away and become? I think even the even the uh, what do they call them? The Skeeters. Over on the other side of town, over in Sugarland. Yes, I think yeah. they're they're a farm club of the of the Astros, which means basically that the Astros own all those players, and they draw from those players okay. as they mature. So they're sent down there when they draft them to the to the minor leagues, and the Buffs did the, the were the same thing. The Cardinals would would draw on the Buffs, and um, anyway, the the Houston Buffs <coughs> were where. The interest in baseball in Houston, that's where it, where it developed. And uh, it was, the Buffs were very popular. I mean, it was hard to find somebody in Houston. Of course, the Houston I was born into in 1942 was 250,000 people. Oh, my if word. If you can believe that. No. Okay. 250,000. 250,000 people. There's that many probably uh, in On our Conroe block. proper. Yeah. You know, now. Well, did when did they become the Colt Forty Fives? Well, they didn't become the Colt Forty Fives. I mean, the Colt it was a franchise that that was a new franchise that was developed uh, into the National League. And um, you may remember you're old enough to probably remember when they had contests and what another uh, on how to name or who was it, what the name of the the baseball team was going to be mm-hmm. and i think that's where they the name colt 35 came came from a, uh, out of that contest but you know i wonder today they could have never kept that name <laughs> they, they everybody's so sensitive about the names and what the names draw well, a picture it draws you can't them. compare anything today right to that era back then believe me well so the colt 45s were how long did they last before we only built about the three dome. Years. They were only there for about two or three years <clears throat> before the Astros came along. Well, you, do you remember that in the Foley's building, the Fingers building, uh, off the freeway, mm-hmm. that's where the stadium was that they played, and they kept the home plate there. And it's right. you can go when you'd go into Fingers, you could go find stand on the plate where the Colt 45s played. Mm-hmm. That that's was pretty exactly cool. where it was, out off the Gulf Freeway. Yeah. That's where, Gulf, that's where Buff Stadium was. Mm-hmm. And uh, any little boy, you ask, him, you ask him where Buff Stadium was that lived in anywhere near Houston, I guarantee he could tell you. Right. And anyway, whenever the Colt 45s came along, they, they tore the stadium down and the Buffs ceased to exist. Uh, but they built that Fingers store there. It was a huge furniture store which a lot of people aren't, probably aren't aware of now because even Fingers has gone away. Yeah, that's been torn. I, what they, I wonder what they do at the home plate. I don't know. I don't know, but it was there for years. It was right, right there in the middle of the – they had a little museum area roped off there, and it was right in the middle of the furniture store. And during that time, my 
cousin, Ed Henderson, and his brother um, were enamored with the teams and, and all that. And so when, uh, when they started building the, the Astrodome, the electronics and what they were going to do, there was going to be like everybody uh, was so excited when they saw this because they hadn't seen it in any other stadiums. This was this was highly unusual. And uh, he's the one that created the charge guy with the sword, and he created uh, some other some other things where they, they'd run across each time that huh? Did he do the bull? He did the bull and uh, <clears throat> and the train was the deal. The train whenever they'd hit the home run, he'd do the train. That was animated, but then now they have like a real train or they had a real train that would well, go I think around. They still have the bull, don't they? They I, I think they show they show the, the charge guy and they show uh, Every once in a while I think they show the bull too. And what he didn't understand was royalties, so it was like if you know if he could have gotten that. But he was so excited to be able to get to be a part of that and in the animation part of it and stuff was was really cool but uh, but anyway so that happened when they built that up and became the astros at that time you would have been how old in 62 well i'd have been about uh 19 20 years old okay in 62 well no wait a minute 62 i would have been uh 22 okay and and I was only three, so I no, I'm kidding. I was a little older than that. But I remember when they had the contest about naming <laughs> again, they had the contest to name the team because they were threatening to call it call them the astronauts. And everybody hated that. They thought that was really stupid. And they thought that they could wear the helmets and things like that. And it was just terrible, whoever was marketing that part. But Hoffines, remember Hoffines was was a big deal in that. Boy and Hoffines. Yeah, and he had big suite, a uh, huge, gaudy suite in the Astrodome. Mm-hmm. And if, I think a lot of people, I mean, now just think about how many kids have never never walked through the Astrodome. And that was such a big deal, you know, to have that dome and to be covered and, you know, where the ball can't even go outside of the of the stadium. Well, big deals are all relative. True. I mean, you take my old dad that was born in uh, 1912. It was a big deal just to see an airplane fly over. I mm. mean, it was a big deal. Yeah. It was in the newspaper in the local town. <laughs> that news, that so big airplane deals, fl- Big deals are just relative to the times. You know? Yeah. The Astrodome was, uh, <clears throat> it would take your breath away then. Mm-hmm. Now people would go. Well, we're going to have to get a new bond issue. This is not going to work. Yeah, right. We yeah. have to have something bigger yeah. and better. And but it took it took my breath away the first time I walked into it. Well, I I remember when uh, there was a guy that was working on the ceiling, and he fell from the top of the dome, and of course died. But it was a big a big thing, you know, like when that happened, and that they were so excited about this, they couldn't wait to have concerts and the rodeo in there and have the people come and then they do that and find out that it echoes so bad there's such a delay in when you sing something or when you hear some the the musicians you've got to del- and had to work all that out because there was a lot of bugs in it do you remember that 
I remember every bit of that. And um, again, that was all relative to the times. People were willing to accept it because that was as good as it got, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, things changed a lot slower back in those days. True. They didn't change every millisecond. <laughs> you know, it took several years for things to change. Yeah. Nowadays, people get real impatient if things don't change instantly. Right. You know? No, that's true. They want their way, and they want it now. That's true. It's like um, when, whenever I was editing at Time Warner, and they put down this rule like you need to change the the images every few seconds. You know, like you, they give you about seven seconds. You had seven seconds to change to a new image, or we'll lose the people watching. And by the time I left, it was down to two to three seconds. And now it's like just try and watch because they're during the 70s I think it was maybe the late 70s that they started kind of experimenting with that and they put all these images up on the screen at one time and it was like this guy was walking out of the building while the person that's going to murder him is walking you know into the room waiting for him and and so they were telling the story with all these images all over it it was crazy because you'd get so confused on what what to look at and to know when what was going to happen but they thought that was pretty cool so they did that for a while i don't see that kind of editing anymore myself um you know it's not going to do anything except to get more progressive relative to that because that's just apparently the way things go you know that's the way the world works well you know how you say whenever you're at home and you're watching you, know, you watch these different series like Yellowstone and things like that, and you go like, and Better Call Saul and and all those those shows you feel like are better than the movies that you go into and pay an exorbitant amount of money to go in the movies. You'd you'd rather stay home and watch those, right? Yeah, because uh, so much of the movies are just about artistic uh, expression and not really telling a story. Right. You know how many cars you can crash and. How many times you can try to outdo the bullet scene of 1972 right. you know, with Steve McQueen? Yeah. Every movie since then has had to stick one of those in someplace. I mean, it can be a love story, and they got to get in the car and race down the street somewhere. Well, you know, that was during the 20s, late 20s and 30s and 40s. They had car chases, and because that's how they dealt with things in the street, they'd shoot each other up and try and— Yeah, but from and, the artist's viewpoint— the the Steve McQueen thing. Was yes. The, now was, that was yeah. That was the cornerstone. Right. It was a whole lot been better. Trying to top that sense, you know. True. That's true. But the Astros anyway. So the Astros get in the dome, and we go to. Well, they didn't get. Uh, the, first of all, you you bypassed. You know, almost anything that. No pain, no gain. Okay, so Houston got a major league team, the Colt Forty Fives, and it was in a in a uh, open ballpark, which was basically just a bunch of bleachers. Right. A couple of concession stands, pretty much like a high school football stadium, uh, where the Astrodome sits, approximately where it sits. And you'd go out there and you'd sit and you'd sweat the mosquitoes that eat you up and all that type of thing. But you had Major League Baseball, so it was Mm -hmm. worth it. And, um, but again, even back then, people weren't willing to put, put up with that too long. Mm-hmm. You know, not in the Houston climate. Right, so right. that's why we wound up with, you know, having the first dome stadium. Because 
you weren't going to get 50 or 60,000 people to come out to a game and sit there, you know, and be eaten up by mosquitoes and, you know, sweat through your clothes. Mm-hmm. So there was three years of, of uh, a little pain, and then the game came whenever the bond issues got voted through and, right. and whatnot, and the dome got built. And it was, it was quite a revolutionary awesome. experience to go in and watch a sporting event in an air-conditioned Yes. Couldn't say smoke-free, though. No, there was so much marijuana. <laughs> I can no, remember going like, marijuana. no, there was. Are well, you kidding? Yes, there, there wasn't was. a lot of marijuana. There was mostly nicotine. It was there was nicotine. I mean, everybody smoked back in those days. But so I, there was a cloud hanging in the top of the right the dome there. But I was sure, smoke. you know, I, I might experience my first high after sitting through one of those games because the people in front were were smoking weed and. All that would blow back in your face, but it was um, it was interesting, and the and the uh, musicians and the music. They finally started getting a, a little bit better with the sound, but it never really was the same. And then they started taking the the stage and turning it around, and you go like, okay, it, it was bad enough just sitting by itself and getting the sound right. Now you're going to turn it around and spin it around, and it's not going to make it work. And and I got to. I guess experienced that firsthand because it was um, the uh, you know the month was uh, Deaf Awareness Month, and so they called on me to come out and sign the national anthem. Uh, and they said, "Now this is and before I go, I'm standing in the in the wing there, and before I go out on the ground, I they say, now let's explain something to you: is that the sound's going to come at you." It's not going to come at you probably at the right time. So you you know the song, right? I mean, you understand, you know, when the changes come and all that stuff. That's going to be good because you're not going to hear it at the right time. And I'm going, you're, I'm not going to what? As I'm walking out and they go like, just, just try and stay up with it. It was horrible because it was so delayed. And, but then I started thinking, you know what? Anybody that's watching this, if they are hearing impaired, will think, oh, great, there's, you know, they're signing the song, and they're not hearing this delay that I'm hearing and trying to figure out where we are in the song. But it was, it was such a great experience because Chad got to run through the dressing rooms and, and got to stand on the field and, and all that. So it was, that was quite a big deal to get to do that, uh, to come and stand on that field. And it was fake well, grass. Well, were part of his birthright. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he was he was born going to Astros games and going out there to things that you did, you know, when you were with the media and all that type of right. thing. Right. But so. it it was um it was so much fun and we did have a lot of good times there watching the U of H and the Astros and I don't know if we ever did we ever see the Texans play there? I don't think so. But uh, I don't think so. The Oilers. The Oilers. Yeah, the Oilers. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Hello. Uh, the Oilers. But the, but this year, I, I think I ever, ever was so involved and invested as I was this year. Because usually I just come in at the very end of when their season or when they're playing and sit for a couple of innings and go like, okay, that's nice, and then go go back to the house. So it's it was so much fun to sit and – watch all those and be so you know right really on the edge of your seat because you never knew what was going to happen 
it drove me crazy because it was, but it was fun, but it was really very stressful. Well, it'd be even more fun if you'd if you'd suffered through the whole seventy years of development to get to that point, <laughs> like I did. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah. Sa- Chad would get so mad. My son would get so mad. He goes, "Don't don't say you're an Astros fan if you just come in at the last minute. And when they're doing good, then you come and watch them. You're not an Astros fan. You're an Astros fan when you have to put up with everything they do wrong, and when the good times and the bad times. So well, he took I it mean, personally. You, you know, if you watch a team, uh, it's like. What would help you maintain your interest, even though you knew the odds were really stacked against them winning when you went out to watch them when they first got started, was that they did have some good ball players. You know, they had uh, Bob Espermani was, a, uh, I believe he was a, th- a, a shortstop, and then they had a guy named Doug Rader. He was. Uh, these were all guys on the initial teams. Mm-hmm. You know, within the first four or five years. Um, and they were good ball players, and it was fun to watch them. Bob Watson was an all-star. Uh, I think he was a first baseman. And um, he went on to actually be, uh, I think, maybe the uh, baseball commissioner or something like that later on. But over the years, they had Cesar Cedeno. They had uh, a bunch of guys that were really good all-stars, but they just never did put together a good team, not up until the late 70s. And uh, I think we went out to see a playoff game that they yes. played in that they almost they almost won the, the playoff. I believe it was against the Phillies, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, how funny. And, and this was it. The Phillies, you know, each time there's a, a team from the East, you get this feeling of intimidation, like they're going to whoop up on you because of New York Yankees and all that stuff. But this year was so different. And the Astros – come back from the scandal that everybody said happened and we're not sure it all happened but um but that it was a revenge type of thing as well right didn't you feel that way at the through the whole playoff season well i felt that way about the yankee situation i love to see them beat the yankees because the yankees whined so much because of the garbage can deal you know the sand stealing thing and when you watch baseball every night or listen to it every night, like I did for most of my life, I mean, sign stealing was a part of the game. Right. Okay? So whether you did it electronically or whether you did it, you know, by visual means, it doesn't make any difference. You're still stealing the sign from the guy. Okay? Mm-hmm. So that was a big deal that the media whipped into a huge thing that really probably had very little, if anything whatsoever, to do with whether they won or lost. Right. Okay. That could have made a difference on one or two pitches, but probably not really. I mean, I played baseball myself, and uh, you don't have a lot of time to think. So, you know, they, they talk about all these philosophies about hitting and everything, and a lot of them are probably legitimate, but when it comes right down to it, you better have real good reflexes and real good hand-to-eye coordination. Right, of course. And hit. So, anyway – I think uh, I think this proves beyond a shadow of a doubt because you've got, still got basically the nucleus of that team. You've got five or six players from that team, the stars, that are still there, okay? And they made the Yankees look silly. They did. And uh, so, the, you know, all that whining and everything, if this doesn't put it to bed, it's only going to be for one reason, and that's because the media just the keeps, media, yeah. keeps, you know, putting embers back on the fire and, 
and uh, fan in the fan in the flames. Right, but this this was great. I mean, it was just so wonderful. They came back home and won it here, and you know. And I say this, and I think probably a lot of baseball experts would agree with me. As far as the entire Astros pitching staff is concerned, including the starting pitching all the way through the uh, the uh, relief pitchers and the closer. That's probably the best pitching staff that's ever been put together by any mm-hmm. major league baseball team. Right. Now, and whether they'll be able to hold it together or not. Well, I, they're giving Dusty. I'd say probably not. But They're going to give Dusty one more year. I don't understand why they came out and just said a year. Is that? That's probably all he wants. Oh. He wants it at his age. He just wants one year at a time. Mm-hmm. I would. Yeah, well, sure. I'll settle for a week at a time. Yeah. Anything I can <laughs> myself to well, I think I think Dusty deserves it, and I'm so excited that he has, you know, he's got that uh, to look forward to, and that he'll be back because he was so popular. Everybody well, loved you him. Well, you got to give the players a lot of credit, Altuve and and uh, you yes. know, the rest of those guys, because they put up with that stuff. They would go to New York. They'd get. Chousted. And other teams used it as an excuse, too, when they would lose to the Astros. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the other le- teams in the league. And and the Dodgers did, too. You know, the Dodgers whined as loud as the Yankees did about getting beat by the Astros. So that should put it to – it's not going to, but it should put it to bed. Well, I mean, our credibility must have gone up in some, in some way with this because we kept coming back and when they – and if they get one run, they they start getting so cocky about it, and you knew that it's not it w- wouldn't defeat us. But sometimes you get so scared that the the guys are going to give up and just go like, "Well, let them have it." They can. I'm not. I don't want to try in this. And I'm tired. We've just been flying back and forth, and you know, you just were so afraid that they're going to give up. But they never did. They stayed with it, and they fought through so many of the things that would have just probably taken down any other team. Yep. It was it was a very, very good team. No it, doubt about it. It still is. And so and and to me, the the things I took away from that whole playoff in in the, in the World Series playoff is that jump that McCormick made and Alvarez's, you know, when he hit and when he did, it was like, Yes, this is this is it. This is all we need. And you couldn't have written a better script. No, not it. Not at all. And it was perfect. And I felt uh, no sorry for the Phillies because the night before they'd made so so much fun about uh, Mattress Mac and was, you know, giving him trouble and he and he got upset and he had to apologize for how he said that wasn't my best moment. You know, but those well, guys were exactly so mean. What was Mattress Mac's best moment? <laughs> <laughs> Well, he said he, can you he name me Can you name me a real good mattress? Well, he, he wasn't going to say anything bad about you know about the Phillies fans, and he he had, was trying to give them props at one point. But once they they started uh, bad mouthing Altuve, he said, "I couldn't take it anymore." It's like that's our family, you know. You don't you don't do that, mm-hmm. and uh, he went crazy. But but Mattress Mac has made a name for himself with those guys. And he's like known all over the world. They can't believe he would put up such money and gamble on that team, and it really paid off. 
What was that like? Like seventy-five million? That he put up ten in one seventy-five. Is what I heard. I mean, I don't know if that's true or not. But when Mattress Mac came to Houston, that first year he put up three million, and he made thirty. So he gambled that, and he if and if he hadn't done well, if it hadn't worked, that would have been it for him. So he gambled on that, you know, that three million, and made the thirty, and all the the. Uh, agencies and all that were just after him they wanted his money to do the spots and buy the time and all that and they said that he was the worst person in the world to work with because he um, he was so strict and so you know he just tr- kept trying to negotiate him down to nothing and, um, and he could I guess he was able to do that but he certainly made a name for himself with the uh, with the Astros, and now H-E-B has taken on the mantra, like uh, the Astros and H-E-B. I thought when Willis got the new H-E-B, I thought there was going to be a star behind that H because it was that's how it was on the commercial. I'm like so stupid. They put that, uh, they put that on there. They just, you know, it, it was not a real star. It was just on there to make them, uh, them remember how attached they were to the Astros. But, uh, but they they're very loyal to the Astros and you see why this was a good deal. And they, the manager, the GM was, it talked about all the snacks they sold during the game. That, that place would just fill up and people would buy all the snacks. They did that at Kroger too. They were, it you could tell game night because of how all the snacks that were sold. And, and you and I ate our, um, our share of that during the, World Series playoff. We had popcorn with a half a pound of butter on it, and then we had uh, tuna dip. We had uh, watermelon. We had we had fruit as well, but it was ridiculous. And because we were so nervous, we kept eating. Right? Isn't mm-hmm. that why? Mm-hmm. That's why I kept eating. No, I just no. I, I was just going to eat. That has a lot to do with it. No, but I it was that's why a lot of fans eat in general. Yeah. Because you know. <laughs> it's so distracting from being so nervous because about it. Because it's always a good excuse to drink beer, too, if you're at the game. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't do that. But it was it was a, uh, it was a lot of fun, and it certainly gave us so much to do. And then as soon as the games were over, it's like Sam walked over to the, the back porch and was like, like, I don't know what to do with myself now that we don't have the, the games to look forward to. That was it, but it then we had anticlimactic. It was, and but the election came along, and and just and that's uh, anticlimactic too. As well, <laughs> it really, it really is. It it was, but uh, but now you what you have to look forward to is so exciting for you and all your friends. Sam has gone deer hunting every year. That uh, when we first got married, he didn't deer hunt. And he said he would never go and kill Bambi. And I thought, oh, good. I'm so glad you're not like those those guys that go out and that's all they do is shoot the poor deer. And But he went with his friend one, one time. Carl took you. And it was like he tasted the blood. And it was like, okay, I love this. And so every, every time deer season came along, you were gone. You guys went and spent all that time hunting down those poor little deer, but you never sh- you never shot a fawn. 
right? You never shot a fawn. No. Okay, good. Okay, good. What's your point? Well, because you at least said, I'll never shoot Bambi. But you didn't tell me you wouldn't shoot the mom or the dad or the, you know. <laughs> well, the truth of it is, if it if you do it and it sticks, if you go hunting and it sticks, the true reason you continue to go for 53 straight years like I have mm-hmm. has very little to do with killing deer. It's the camaraderie and... It has a lot to do with the camaraderie, and it also has a lot to do with you get to practice self-reliance better there than you do anyplace else. Really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And then you all sit around the fire every night and have your hot toddies and... Um, well, I mean, you do when you can. I used to do that, but I can't, haven't been able to tidy in quite a few years. <laughs> That's good. But they would come back with these deer stories, and they would tell these deer stories over and over and over again. And uh, so one night we were sitting there, and they started the story. But you uh, see, you those remember? stories are not for you. So you think they're silly. You think they're ridiculous. But, you but should. to us, they're part of our culture. Well, you could have excused... And they're only really meant for us. Well, you could have said, why don't y'all go in the other room while we, we talk about but the deer stories? you don't see us trying to tell you the story. We but, tell the uh, stories back and forth to each other. But see, I was... So when I kept hearing this, so I decided what we do is, I with the girls, the women, the wives, uh, let's name, let's give the, each story a number. So all y'all have to do is say, oh, you remember number five? And that was where y'all went to the top of the mountain and shot the, the deers and stuff like that. But so that we wouldn't have to listen to the stories again, because it wasn't entertaining to us. I understand it was to y'all. And and to this day, mm-hmm. it, it's y'all's memories and everything about it. Somebody, and nobody's written a book about how exciting the the experiences are. Now, I remember, do you remember when you... It wouldn't do any good to write a book about it and try to sell it to someone who's already has preconceived ideas that they don't like it and and it wouldn't interest them and then there would be nothing in there for them. So it it wouldn't make any difference what the subject is if that's your Mm -hmm. attitude about it. Well, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about uh, people that love hunting and love going out and doing that kind of stuff. Because I remember... The only way you learn how to love it is you go try it. And if it's like a vaccination, if it takes, okay, (laughs) then you do it. If if it doesn't take, then you don't do it. We had just gotten married. And uh, and all you you talked about after going hunting with Carl, you were like, oh, this is so great, this is so great. And just talked about how wonderful it was. So um, I went with you, and at about 4 o'clock in the morning, you said, wake up, we've got to go out to the deer stand. And... So we go out to the deer stand, and we're sitting there, and I'm thinking, this is so cool. It's so romantic. And so I, I start talking to him, like, well, what if the deer, shh. And I go, well, I just want to know, shh, shh. You can't talk. You can't talk. You can't talk, okay? Just be quiet. And we're sitting there. It's 4.30 in the morning. It's pitch black and waiting for the sun to come up so that you can see if there are any deer out there. And you can't talk. So it was just... It was like this is this is what you think is fun. I didn't I didn't couldn't find the fun in it at well, all. Well, then you didn't go back. Did no, you? I didn't. Okay. <laughs> no, I didn't. Well, that was your choice. And I was so happy for you that you enjoyed because that. Because you just explained 
your view of it. Yeah, right. All right. right. Well, that's not my view of it. I know. I, I do. And it's, I not, do. it's not the view of anybody that, that does it. I do. Including I'm, your son. No, I understand why y'all gone love with it. with me almost every year of his life. I mean, that's been the biggest bonding thing y'all have had is to be able to do that. Because he'd come back and go, you know, Dad is nothing like he is at home when he gets out there. He is so free, so relaxed. He just enjoys every minute of being out there. Well, God but, forbid. <laughs> no, I, it's not that old. I, I, I'm glad that you enjoyed that. But it would. But when we first married, it would make me mad because you you were a traveling salesman, and so you'd be out for a week and come back for a week. And when you come back that week, then it was time to go deer hunting during November, and I couldn't believe you'd leave me after you'd been gone for a week. And my mo- my mother gave me such great advice. She said, "Look." Sam goes, and he enjoys himself, and you want him to enjoy himself. So what you need to do is find things that he wouldn't want to do, you know, when you were, uh, y'all were together. He doesn't like to go to certain shows you like to go to. He doesn't want to go to the mall and all that. Go So go do that stuff, and then it won't be so bad, and you'll be happy to see him like when he comes back. Gas in your Volkswagen and really worst part of town. And- <laughs> oh yes, that's and right. Blow the engine in your car on the Pierce Elevated and yes, stuff like that. Yes, true. And that you would wait till I was out of town to do. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, and then call you and say, "Y'all got to come back," because uh, no, I never called you. And said you had to come back today, ever. Did I ever say it? No. I don't remember you doing that. No. But I do remember you calling me saying my car is broken and I'm on the freeway. What do I do? <laughs> come get me. You take care of it now. That's right. I need a new car now. That's right. Well, of course, those things happen in life and in marriage. And I really do think that your deer hunting is good. And it it saddens me to know that this is going to be your last deer hunting session. It saddens me a whole lot more than it does you. Uh, Because you, you enjoyed it so much. And it was fun when you, you know... Would it be enjoying yourself and that I can go shopping or go do stuff and um, while you were gone? Mm-hmm. It was, and then you'd have a surprise in the, no, I, I wouldn't do that. I, I, I didn't do that. Uh, I'm just glad that you have that. Now, Richard, what is it that you have that your wife, you know, doesn't maybe understand, but she's more understanding now than she was when y'all first got married oh i would say pretty much anything i do <laughs> yeah pretty much anything i do That's, that can't be true richard your poor wife his wife is uh, a nurse and she's studying right now she's in school and working and she's in school and she's studying to be an rn or, or not an rn an rn, RN. yeah okay that's the primo. That's what uh, Sam's mother was. And so she's trying to do all of that. And then it, it, you can't give her any grief or anything. She just has to, you just have to let her vent, right? Pretty much. That's good. See, she's taught you well. I think that's really good. I remember when they first started dating, it was great. I had so much fun with Richard talking about, you know, when all that first starts happening. And you probably don't remember that, do you, honey? We first started dating. And what what Sam loved about me is that he didn't, he never knew what to expect. Isn't that right, honey? 
Well, that was not the only thing I loved about you, but yeah. that was one of the things. Okay, there you go. See, so it was it was very sweet. And if you were if you keep that up, then just imagine we've been, we've been married over fifty years. It'll be fifty three. Somewhere around there. This yeah. year. Um, anyway, for, we got married in nineteen sixty nine, and so it's now twenty twenty two. I can't even subtract that. So. Anyway, we've been married uh, long enough to know better, right? I would hope so. Yes, okay. But we know each other's... But it, what's weird is that a lot of couples, and this isn't giving marriage advice, but I just a lot of couples uh, give up real quick. You know, like they can't stand it. They like, uh, I don't even like the way you chew your food around. And so they're going to give up. And instead of pushing through and staying with that person for 50 years, you get a lot better. I mean, and everything gets better, don't you think? Don't you think we understand each other more better? More better? No, not really. Oh, okay. You're supposed to say, yeah. here's a <laughs> script right here. You're supposed to say, yeah. Oh. I know, I, I know, and you get uh, very frustrated with me because Sam was a salesman and would communicate with everybody. And he said, I do this for a living. I communicate with people all day long with living, and I'm trying to tell you something, and I cannot communicate with you. You don't understand what I'm trying to tell you. And he would get so upset with me. But um, so I learned, I learned how to, to accept anything you said and, and just and nod appreciatively appreciatively and then uh, go do what you were going to do anyway. yes exactly right that's that's that, i think that's how uh, marriages survive you know you just yeah, that's how this one survived yeah you just finally give up trying to tell them something and just go like okay just do whatever you want to do but you you've always been there you've always been there for me and you took care of me sam was the nurse that took care of me through my uh, quadruple bypass and my strokes and everything saved my life because he called the ambulance when i was i was saying i'm not ha i'm not having a stroke i'm okay i just need some more water i just need to drink some water and he said no no you're having a stroke so he he called and and got me to the hospital in time and um so they were you saved my life like two times two two distinct times that you saved my life oh and that's right and then when i overdosed on the um let me say this quickly the insulin and you called the ambulance so 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 you've always been there it's just it's so sweet it's my job and i love you for it what i said i'd do yes yes you did you promised and you kept your promise i on the other hand sometimes would be <laughs> no to obey that used to be vogue what that when you said you were going to do something you would do it yeah it used to be you're right that's true no so you could uh, you could have never been a politician because people don't believe that anymore. They don't understand that. I don't understand how people believe anything politicians say. Quite frankly, if they just open their mouth, we know they're lying. Yeah, you're right. You just vote for them and hope that they do something good. <laughs> well, that's what everybody's we're hoping for this time, and I don't see how it can happen because. I mean, I don't understand maybe the government as much as somebody like you understands the House and the Senate and how they work together and how they don't work together and how the, you know, all the Republicans said, if we if we are in charge of the House and we're in charge of the Senate, then we can stop anything that 
Biden is going to try and put through that will hurt us or cause us to go into a worse recession than we're in. But it is, it, he can still do executive privilege, you know, sign things that are, he just, he thinks this should be like codifying Roe versus Wade and that kind of thing. He's going to try and get things passed and just by executive privilege, right? I mean, that's well, I'm a, sure there'll be a certain amount of that. And the, there's nothing that the Congress or the Senate can do anything about, right? Well, unless they, unless the next time around it's a different regime gets in and then they just, they can change it. But if, if the Congress is in charge of the purse strings and they they wouldn't fund whatever he did an executive privilege order for. Could they do that? Could they not fund it? Well, I don't know enough about it to be to sit here and talk like an expert, but if, for example, if they do get that controlling vote they're looking for in the Senate, the Republicans, mm -hmm. they already have it in the, uh, according to what I heard on the news this morning, they already have it in the House, then he just becomes a lame duck. Lame... Lame, lame duck. duck, yeah, yeah. Which means that you know he can do whatever he wants to do, but it's not going to have any real lasting effect. He can do things that will last the rest of his term, right? So as soon as he's out of there, that that goes. But that's going to happen. A lot of them they won't be constitutional, right? Because a lot of these things they do by executive order are not constitutional. No, that's why they're doing them that way. Right. So they'll immediately go into suit. This mm -hmm. would be true for any regime, whether it's Democratic or Republican. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then they'll, they'll go in the suit, and then, you know, that'll hold everything up and keep it keep anything from happening. So it really, what happens when you get in a situation like this, it's just everything comes to a screeching halt. And now's not a good time for stuff to come to a screeching halt. No, not at all. Well, somebody better figure out something. Well, this is, this is the uh, worst actual inflation that has hit my pocketbook in my 81 years i i agree in my 74 and so um listen i gotta we gotta stop this <laughs> we can't we gotta quit meeting like this again no thank you so much for coming in and and saving the day i appreciate it so much uh and jimmy because jimmy felt terrible he felt so bad about not being able to be here and it, now, Sam has known Jimmy since he was a little kid, screaming at the top of his lungs, standing in his driveway and holding a bottle and, and squealing at this amazing high-pitched note. But now Jimmy has, has become, uh, you know, he's, he's a good guy. He's working hard, and he has a lot of knowledge about a lot of the sports stuff. That's why I liked using him, and I loved having him call, be called Jimmy the C., but uh, he's so I told Jimmy, I said, don't worry about it. You know, we're going to bring we'll bring you back. And I just know what I was going to do. And I asked Sam, I said, would you mind coming and, you know, sharing some of your knowledge with us? So I appreciate that so much. I really do. And Richard really appreciates it. Isn't that right? Yes, he does. Because it kept him awake. Usually, <laughs> like, I don't know, it's going to be me and you, Cindy. Okay. But uh, anyways. Well, that just proves Richard is easily satisfied. Yes, he is. <laughs> you hear how he treats his wife. He's just like, whatever she wants to do or whatever she wants to say. 
Anyway, uh, listen, guys, uh, tomorrow we've got part two with uh, Denton Florian, and we're going to be discussing all the stuff that happened this yesterday. And um, and Denton is a historian, so it's really interesting to hear from his perspective and what he knows about history and how this how these things play out. This probably is historical, that uh, the stuff that's happened uh, yesterday. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens, and he's going to be so great to explain a lot of this to us but thank you so much for being with us we really appreciate you and we appreciate the fact that you guys have stayed with us and and tomorrow we'll do we'll talk to denton next week we've got mike and brian falcon from silver rock productions we have uh dennis and deanie boyd they're going to talk about talking to dead people this is really you know this is a continuation of what dennis had said a few weeks ago, and more people went like, "We want more talk about you, how your wife talks to dead people." And then, um, and then we have uh, on Thursday, we have. Don't tell me I know this. Oh, we have uh, <laughs> we have people from Conroe Church of Christ is going to talk about their women's ministry. We've been talking to different churches about their women's ministry, and they'll be talking that. So we got a full week next week. So uh, you guys have a great day. Enjoy your day. Call somebody you love. And first responders, we love you so much. And what's more important, that God loves you even more. So thank you. We love you. See ya.